comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. First of all, we must internalize the flatulation of the matter by transmitting the effervescence of the Indonesian proximity in order to further segregate the crux of my venereal infection. Now, if I may retain my liquids here for one moment, I'd like to continue the redundance of my quote-unquote intestinal tract See, because to preclude on the issue of world domination would only circumvent, excuse me, circumcise the revelation that it reflects the aphrodisiac symptoms which now perpetrates the Jericho's activation. Banded together from remote galaxies are the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Dudes! Dude! His dudeness, duder, el duderino. Dude! Dude! Dedicated to a single objective, the conquest of the universe. It's the Legion of Dudes podcast. And now, here's the dudes. Good evening, everyone. It's the Walking Dead TV podcast, episode one nine eight. Is it or or the Legion of Dudes? Which what I say? Prefer. Walking Dead. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Dead. Now we have a bleeper rule. A bleeper rule. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of laughing gas are you guys pumping out? Let's just leave this because it's our first show ever. <laughs> Welcome to. <laughs> yes, as we get closer to two hundred, we get stupider. Hello, guys. Hey. Yeah, we're leaving that all in. We're we're, we're rolling I with love it. it. Sounds good. This is our BS show for what is this? June. Yeah, June. I got that part right. Yep, June all month. There's been plenty of BS already, so it should be a good one. Do we have any junk to talk about? Do we have not our own personal junk? Do we have... <laughs> That's a totally different podcast. It's been a little itchy lately. No. <laughs> it is very drunk. warm. <laughs> no, we're all powdered up and ready to go. Um, do we have any news or important items? Um, Russ, have you been at, at cons, haven't you? I have. How are they? To, um, <laughs> I did. I went to Comic Palooza, not this this past weekend but the weekend before um it was a lot of fun yet again and um it, it it definitely improved this year um the year before they had it on the second floor at the jar jar george r brown this year it was on <laughs> the, the jar jar bink center the jar jar <laughs> yes yes um this year it was on the first floor of the george r brown convention center and they had it laid out more like a traditional con where you had you know artist alley kind of on one side you had the dealers on the other side uh, there were more dealers this year than there were last year, which was good. Um, about the same, maybe a few more in the Artist Alley, but there's there's some pretty decent local talent there. Um, I got a couple pieces of art. Well, which, enlighten us. What did you get, Russ? I, I got, um, there were these three nice ladies that were sitting at a table doing a bunch of uh, kind of cartoony style, more like, 
you know, kid friendly type stuff. And um, so uh, my granddaughter's birthday is coming up. She'll be two. And I had one of them commissioned. She's big on, she's been watching Tangled like over and over and over and over and over again. Um, so she's big on Rapunzel, or as she says, Apunzel. And um, so I commissioned one of the nice ladies to draw her a colored uh, sketch for, of a Rapunzel. It's like eight and a half by 11. It was like stupid cheap. It was like fi- she charged 15 bucks and should have charged probably like double that. Um, so that was really cool. And then I took um, – there are these guys from CCP Comics. They're like a local Austin, Houston area branch. And they um, – there's just a bunch of different artists. They do some local comics, um, a lot of you know sketch work and stuff like that. So I had my blank variant cover to Uncanny X-Force. And uh, I had one of the guys draw a Wolverine on it in the X-Force costume. Uh, kind of off off center, so it, it turned out really really nice. Um, the and then it's kind of weird. So you have this big open area where, you, like I said, you have the artist alley stuff on one side. You've got the dealers on on you know kind of the other side of the room, and then there's a whole other segment, um, a whole other open area of the convention floor where they had all this crazy stuff going on. Like they had a roller derby rink set up, um, which is kind of weird on an open floor because there's no walls or anything like that. Um, they had a wrestling ring set up where they had like u- local Houston wrestling going on. They had um, an area roped off where they did a lot of like uh, medieval weapons demonstrations. So they had guys that had like uh, different types of swords and, and weapons and things like that that were kind of beating the hell out of each other. They had uh, a lot of stuff for kids. You know, you could you could have your kids go up there and they would teach them how to use like um, you know different swords and um, like wood batons and things like that. Um, they had a laser tag area set up. Um, just just a lot of really weird stuff. There's I'll, I'll put some photos up and I'll put I'll probably put a video up on our YouTube channel. But they had this band up on the stage um, off to one end, and they had this huge like I guess it was like a Van de Graaff generator or something like that. The guys were were playing their music. The, there was one guy behind the control panel, and he would actually have the Van de Graaff generator like spark out like electricity, and that would. That was part of the music, so they had a guitar, guy on guitar, guy on drums. Then this guy behind this crazy control panel, um, sparking off all this this crazy you know music to accompany it. And at one one point, they had a guy like dressed up like Darth Vader that got inside a metal cage, and they played the Imperial March to this thing. And and all the time, this cage is getting zapped between these two big you know electricity generators. Um, and at one point, they had a guy that had like you know the the insulated suit or whatever with a helmet on playing guitar to this thing. Um, it was just really bizarre, um, but but there was a lot of stuff like that, um, you know, going on. So a lot of stuff. It was really good because there's a lot of stuff for the kids. Um, you know, definitely a kid friendly type con. Lots of folks that were dressed up in costume. A lot of cosplay of all different kinds. I mean, superhero, anime, a lot of steampunk. There was a ton of steampunk stuff there. So if you're into steampunk, that's that's kind of the place to be. Steampunk is very uh, popular with the young people. Yeah, I could tell. It's really cool how cons are diversifying now, I think. I mean, it used to be uh, a lot of conventions were you know, just comic book collectors, very comic-centric. Now you go to a Comic-Con, and you know, you, it's a wide spectrum of fandom, like you say, Russ. You've know, you got your anime, you've got your medieval you know, demonstrators, you've got you know, steampunks, everybody you know, getting together and enjoying what they're enthusiastic about. I think that's awesome. I'm glad you had a good show. Really, again, they continue to, to do a good job you know, with the con. Um, and I hope as as time goes by, they continue to you know to to keep it up. The only thing, I, you know, I hate to I hate to 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 kind of ding it a little bit, but um, 
the only thing I thought was a step backward this year were, was the con uh, the the panel rooms. They had the panel rooms in another section of the first floor, and it was it was just a, basically a big open area that they they curtained off into into smaller rooms um, and had panels there. And they did that kind of the first year at, at Wizard World Austin. And the only bad thing is if you get a really live raucous panel next to you, it really kind of overrides your panel. Um, so th- that makes it kind of tough to hear. Um, but it wasn't too bad. Um, we went to uh, – my buddy Glenn and I uh, – Glenn was down in Houston. So uh, we took uh, his son and, and I went. And then uh, on Sunday, me and my son went. Then in a panel with Chris Judge and Rachel Luttrell, who Chris Judge was – the uh, played Teal on Stargate uh, SG One, and then Rachel Latrell played Taylor on Atlantis, and uh, I, I've, that's the second panel I've been to with Christopher Judge. He was he I went to the panel at San Diego, and the guy is just a riot. He is just so funny and so into the crowd, um, and and they took a lot of cool questions. And thankfully, unlike Comic Con, uh, there wasn't any um, you know typical what you'd consider like Star Trek. Uh, fanboys asking questions about like specific episodes and crazy, um, you know, minutia. There were there were actually a lot of good questions, and they had a lot of good uh, a lot of good answers, and it was a really good conversation. It was just a lot of fun. George Takei was there. Um, I didn't I didn't get to sit on on any of his panels. Um, I saw Chandler Riggs. Went up and uh, talked to Chandler Riggs for um, for just a minute. It was funny. I was just kind of taking a step back and just taking pictures in general, not you know, really of anything specific. His table was kind of at a lull, so his dad kind of motioned over, and he motioned over to, to um, you know, to kind of talk a little bit and not, you know, take a closer-up picture. So I got a good picture of uh, of Chandler and just talked to him a little bit. They're, they're in the middle of filming, so he wasn't at the con on Friday because they were actually filming and uh, took a break to come out on Saturday and Sunday and then uh, headed back for, for more filming. But he's just a really cool kid, you know, just real easygoing and you know just you know w- totally willing to talk to you and there were a lot of the younger fans that that show you know were at his table and he was like shaking hands and taking pictures and things like that so um so overall it was it was good um it was a way, it was a whole lot busier this year than last year too saturday was really really packed um but but what's great about that con is it's not so packed that you can't move around or you feel like you're elbowing people or you know you know Side by side, there's there's plenty of open space where you could just go sit down. You can kind of move your stuff around, um, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So um, it, it continues to be a good con, and I, I really hope, uh, you know, as time goes by, that um, maybe we can kind of take a larger role in that con as a, as a podcast group. I hope Brad and Frank, I can get them down for for it maybe next year, and we can, you know, maybe do some some broadcasting and some more live stuff on the floor. Every time. Uh we mentioned Chandler Riggs. I think of the New York Comic Con when the host uh, Chris Hartwick. Hartwick, what the hell's his name? Hartwick. Yeah, when he goes. Uh, so you're probably the coolest 11 year old you know. <laughs> Chandler Riggs. Chandler Riggs thinks for a second and he's like, Yeah, probably. <laughs> From what I talked to him, he was really into Call of Duty. That's funny. We I actually sat down with one of the guys from TimeGate Studios, which is a Houston-based studio um, working on the Alien Colonial Marine game. And so I've got about a little 15, 20-minute piece that I'll tack on the end of this episode where he talks a little bit about the game and, you know, kind of the genesis of it and story, a little bit of the story and what we can expect. Um, it was a really good conversation. Um, and if you haven't seen the trailer for that game, check it out because it's, uh, it's, it's looking uh, pretty cool. It, uh, it actually takes up shortly after Aliens um, where the Sulaco comes back from the planet uh, from Alien 3 
um, and goes back to LV-426 or whatever. And, uh, and the Marines dock with it to find out what happened to that crew and kind of the, the insanity ensues from there. So, we had, like I said, we had a real good conversation. You didn't happen to talk to him about the delay at all because I know that's been pushed back to like February. And I was wondering yeah, no, if the not reasons really, for that. Um, I, 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 I did mention, you know, hey, that I heard, you know, it just got pushed to February. Uh, and he, I, he mentioned, I don't think I actually got it on tape, but he did mention that, you know, a lot of it was just to, you know, they want to make, make sure it's top notch and they wanted to make sure everything was buttoned up and that it wasn't, you know, that, that they didn't want to deliver something half-assed basically. Um, and, and a lot of that was just to kind of, to, you know, to make sure it's, it's in good shape. You know, I talked to, uh, one of the guys I talked to named Brett, he, he's actually a huge fan of the aliens, uh, comics, like the dark horse stuff, uh, from, from back when, you know, in the eight, in the late eighties, when, when dark horse actually put out the original, um, you know, like the aliens sequel comic before alien three kind of wiped all that out. And uh, and he was talking to me a little bit about that. And then they did one one of the things he mentioned was, and John, you may know this. They did Dark Horse did a comic called Alien. It was like Alien Nightmare or Alien something something related to that. And anyway, he said that during the design phase, they actually like pulled out that comic and took a lot of you know some of that art and used it almost like storyboards uh, for the mood and stuff they were looking for. So very cool. Yeah, there were tons of. Uh Aliens miniseries and a lot versus Predator and some yeah. just Predator, some just Aliens. They were doing a lot of that stuff, Dark Horse was, in the, uh, I don't know, probably mid-90s. Yeah. One of the probably first 10 or 20 comics I ever had as a kid was one of the Aliens versus Predators comics. Nice. And it had a boob in it, so it was like my favorite comic ever. <laughs> <laughs> Not even two boobs, just one? Uh, I think one was in Shadow. If I remember correctly, I spent a lot of time with this comic as a little kid. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Jordan, would you like to start with some BSing? How about, um, well, whatever you like. You're reading <laughs> comics? I, I, haven't, I don't have many comics for this particular BS. Uh, I don't have a ton either. I've been reading um, Spider-Man Ends of the Earth, which has been fun a little bit. I, not as good as Spider-Island. I really like Spider-Island, and I'd say this is you know uh, a notch or two below it, but it's still good. Um, and that's basically Doc Ock comes to the leaders of the world and says, hey, I can stop global warming. And whether you believe in global warming or not is beside the issue. He has this device up in space which he can use to either get rid of it or to amplify it. And he does that by first turning it on and amplifying it and being like, look, you don't do what I want. This is what happens to the world. You do what I want and I get rid of global warming forever. It's no no longer an issue. Crops grow, grow everywhere, Whatever, whatever you want. And so Spider-Man is pretty much one of only a few heroes. It's him, Silver Sable, um, uh, Black Widow, and a couple other Z-teamers that are actually pretty fun uh, that they've been throwing in there. Um, uh, the Kangaroo, I think, is one of them, uh, Union Jack, a couple others. And so those guys are pretty much the only heroes who are willing to stand up against what sounds like a fantastic deal and say, there's no way this is real. It's got to be a trick. And so they're going around – Basically, as the world's most wanted, not just New York's most wanted for once, but the world's most wanted, trying to stop Doc Ock and the Sinister Six from what could be a great boon to the world or could be the end of it. And it's it's been a pretty fun story, but again, just not up to the same level as Spider Island. Interesting. And this is bef- the next Spider-Man event will be the one with the ultimate Spider-Man all- being there, or is that a totally separate thing? That's- Spider-Man, yeah, that's, that's completely separate as far as I know. Um 
I wasn't planning on getting it, but the couple reviews I've seen so far were very positive, so I might check it out. My only my only um, big stumbling block for that is I I've only read about three issues of Ultimate Spider Man, and that was about ten years ago. So I I'm I, certainly going to be lost on the Miles Morales stuff, but if it's really well reviewed, I'll check it out. I, I think with that one, I might if if Marvel does the month later lowering the price on the digital side, I might just wait and do it then. Um, but just to kind of go off what you're saying, Jordan, about um, Spider-Man, I've actually been catching up on Spider-Man with uh, – I started with Big Time and then kind of read through up until Spider-Island. And I'm, I'm about – she's into Spider-Island now. I'm reading all the minis. Um, and, uh, John, I don't know if you ch- checked out the Shang-Chi uh, tie-in to Spider-Island. No, I didn't. I, I've It's been on my list, but I, uh, I haven't gotten to it. The art is fantastic. It is um, – it's, Who did it? Do you know off the top of your head? Because I'm, I'm, I'm looking it up now because I can't. I, and, and I made a mental note as I was reading it um, because I read it yesterday. But I was really. It's a very. Um, it, it's very fitting for Shang Chi. It's it's very sketchy um, style. Yeah, the, the artist uh, Sebastian Furama, um, and I'm sure I'm butchering his name. But yeah, John, you should really check it out. The art. I mean, I was looking up like original art pages from this guy after reading this book last night because. It just uh, the style is just unbelievable, and the coloring really, really lends itself to that style. It's it's almost like it's done in like I want to. It almost looks like it was colored with like a colored pencil. Uh, what have you thought of the few issues of Spider Island you've read so far, Russ? Pretty good. Um, you know, I thought it would be one of those things that would just have like a really silly premise behind it and just be completely moronic, but. I kind of dig it so far. I mean, I like the way that people are getting these powers. I like the fact that it kind of adds a twist that um, that Peter can, you know, kind of come out as a as a quote hero because everybody else has powers. Um, it's it's just really well done, um, and I love Big Time. I went back through and read Big Time, and Big Time was just just really awesome. There's so, definitely a lot of fun stuff in there for sure. I, I mean, I, I'm kind of I can I totally get it where people that are longtime Spider-Man for, uh, fans. And, and long time committed to reading that comic on a monthly basis would have been really, really PO'd about the whole, you know, Mary Jane thing and the dissolution of the wedding. And I'm, I'm kind of in that camp too. But the stories they've been telling since, you know, one, you know, one more day or, and, and all this, everything that follows have just been so fun. They've just been so fun. And, you know, in general, I don't know how you guys feel, especially you, Jordan, because you've been reading it. I don't know that it really would have been that big of a deal for them to tell the stories they're telling, even if they stayed, if they were still married. I, I think they could have still told stories that have been really fun and really cool and done exciting things with with Peter, even even still married. But um, but it, it's just been a lot of fun. It's hard to say, particularly because I mean, like I'm I don't have strong feelings about it one way or the other. You know, whether he's married to Mary Jane or not, as long as the stories are good. I really enjoyed all the JMS stuff that came, you know, up until the dissolution of the marriage, but it was just so. I guess the best way to put it is just dark. There was so much strife in their marriage. There were so many different dark things. It wasn't in a good place, and for for years and years and years. And so, while yes, I think there is a version of the current stories you can do with him married. I don't know how you get there with their marriage the way it was. You don't just. You know, and, and granted, I say this as a guy who's never been married, but you don't just 
fix that one day. If there's so many problems, and I'm talking in a – not in a story sense, but in the actual sense of their marriage wasn't doing very well as I remembered anyway. I don't know how you get to the way the stories are now. Maybe maybe you can bring her in back in now. And a friend of mine, Pierce, he's been reading Amazing Spider-Man recently, and he's pretty convinced that they're gearing up to bring her back. I'll go on record as saying as I don't know that I buy that necessarily, but – I think if you want to bring her back now, you probably could as long as you you still kept it with that upbeat attitude and, and just the sense of fun. But I don't know that you could have gotten there from where it was without taking years of story to fix. And I don't say fixes and it was broken, but years of story to kind of uh, fix the place their marriage was in. Uh, yeah, I read some of the Spider Island uh, stuff and I really enjoyed that. Uh, it makes me want to go back and read some of Big Time and maybe some of the other Dan Slott stuff on Spider-Man because Spider-Island stuff was really fun, I thought, anyway. And also, yeah. if you go back before that, I think Joe Kelly was also one of my favorites who did a lot of stuff, especially – I know I've talked about it many times, um, but his two-issue Rhino story is one of the best Spider-Man books I've ever read. It's just – it takes a Z-list character uh, – not even a Z-list character, but just a joke character – who's a one-trick pony and turns him into a character with depth, and it was absolutely fantastic. I do love it when they do that, like with Dendis and the Gladiator and his uh, Daredevil run. That actually makes me think of something I read recently, and and you guys know I'm not a DC guy, but I read that they – this isn't the same thing, but they changed something about um, uh, Mr. Freeze from – Batman, just like in the last two weeks. Have you guys read that? I, I yeah, the annual. I, I don't know if we, do we want to spoil that for our listeners or were you okay with that change? Because I, I don't have any strong opinion about it whatsoever because I don't read Batman, but um, I could imagine people could have a very, very strong reaction to that. I have not it, read it yet. It, it's pretty good. I mean, it ties into the whole, you know, Night of Owls thing. I, you know, it didn't bother me. I, I thought it was a fairly well-told story. I thought the art was pretty solid. I, I, you know, I, I think you know, the whole new 52, everything has changed anyway. So the fact that they're changing this, to me, really just doesn't, you know, it just doesn't you know, get, me, get my goat up at this point. Well, speaking of big changes in the DCU, could we talk about Alan Scott and his weakness for wood, as Jordan put it out earlier this week? <laughs> say, not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And, and, as, I, and as I, I want to point out to our listeners, as I said in the email where I wrote that, I felt terrible, but it just felt like it was kind of apropos. So, I mean, my t- it's funny. I was listening to Eleven O'clock Comics a couple of weeks ago, and it, it this came up, or the North Star wedding came up, or whatever. And I'm just like, I just I don't care. Like, and I don't mean that in a negative. You know, I, I have an issue with it. I. I doesn't matter to me one way or the other so i mean i know i know at least it seems like with the alan scott thing it got blown up not by dc like marvel's making a huge huge deal in a publicity thing out of the north star thing i think with the dc i think it was just it all started out of a question somebody asked and then the do making a you know answering that question and then it just kind of blew up from there but in general it just i you know it just doesn't i i it doesn't matter to me one way or the other i mean it's it's the Earth Two Alan Scott, which is not even you know really DC you know normal timeline. It's it shunted off to this other book, which has dramatically changed every um, you know what we consider to be golden age versions of of all the heroes. So, I much ado well, about nothing for me. Yeah, I just I, I really I'm with you, Russ. I really don't care as long as the stories are good. You know what I mean? 
Um, I, I didn't. I mean, they made a big deal out of you know Batwoman and the, and the new question, Renee Montoya, you know, having a, um, you know a, a relationship and things like that. I, I didn't care. Those stories were really good. The Greg Rucka and Renee Montoya, you know, question stories were great. The the J. H. Williams uh, um, uh, Batwoman was great. I, I didn't care. You know, if it makes sense for the character and it makes a good story, that's all that really matters to me. You're, I mean, I know they rebooted everything with this new Earth 2 and the new DCNU and everything, but they are kind of they're throwing out a whole bunch of continuity there. I mean, but I mean, I guess that's their thing now with the new New 52 and the new Earth 2 and whatnot, but um, I, I, you know, I don't care about a character's orientation and I, I'd rather they didn't make like a huge media circus and big deal out of it it's, have it be part of the story and, and it's just a very little consequence. You have these kind of publicity stunts. A character dies. All right, well, a character died. So now that character is not there anymore. And so there's your consequence. And people are going to react about him being gone or her being gone. Or, so it carries a bit of a story from there. Uh, when Spider-Man becomes you know, a black kid, uh, now Spider-Man is black. So there's the physical, like, every comic you're looking at it. That's a big change. This, like, I don't see how there's any consequence or even stories to be told from, from that point. You know what I'm getting at? Like, okay, he's gay. Yeah. So do we have to make another gay character so they can have a relationship? Which in comics means what? They're going to be on a few panels together and he's going to be a little more upset if the other guy gets hurt. Like, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't get the... Anywhere that it could go, besides that one day where they get lots of press. Nobody said anything about Apollo and the Midnighter, you know. What I mean? Yep. I mean, those were good stories. They were well told, and they were fairly. I mean, when they were written by uh, you know by Warren Ellis or whatever, they were a fairly realistic couple. You know, like the way they talked, the way they interacted, what have you. I mean, same with same with the question and, and that woman. It's more to me about the stories. I mean, if you want, I mean, the publicity stunt I, obviously is there. With the North Star thing, like you said, Russ, Marvel's been just you know hyping it left, right, and center. I, I, and, and John, you make a very good point too. I don't really see a lot of really great stories spinning out of this, or or you know, or good you know, or much of anything other than like you say, you know, oh, this is his partner in like one panel or two panels, or a reference to be made somewhere. Did the question you know, just, and Batwoman make out a lot? <laughs> not as much as you would like. John's finger that? is hovering <laughs> over the place order button. So. Well, the no, that 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 came out funny, but <laughs> the point being, you know, like how much does it really mean that they were a couple? You know, like I don't well, know. Well, it's just some tension between the characters and kind of what they. I mean, they're both fight crime, but they're coming at it from totally different ways, and I don't know, they're both interesting characters to me, Kathy Kane and Renee Montoya, I mean, I've been following their stories since, you know, 52, um, so, I mean, they're they're both interesting characters to me, it, you know, that they're gay, it's just like, it's like people in my life, you know, you know, I, I don't, you know, oh, you're gay, wow, what a big deal, you know, it's just like, oh, okay, you're gay, you know, and it just doesn't, I, I, I don't like the, the fact they just keep making, you know, publicity stunts out of it, you know, just do better stories, you know. Yeah, the, the Marvel thing, it, it's kind of funny that they're equating – Peter and Mary Jane got married, big deal in comics, right? Huge deal. They went to Shea Stadium and everything and did the whole thing. Those characters had been involved in each other and intertwined in those stories for what, decades almost at that point. Um, Scott and Jean, same kind of concept, almost 30 years that they, they've been an item on and off again, however you want to put it, um, in comics. So when they got married, big deal, right? So – they do this thing with North Star and Kyle, and it's like, 
who the hell is Kyle? You know, it's it's like they're well, I making. A, they have been in a relationship for two or three years in the comics in, in real right, time, two, so it's not like a new new thing. You know what I mean? No, I follow you, but they're making this as big of a deal as they did for these these things that Lois and Clark. Same thing, right? I mean, Lois and Clark. 50 years or something like that, that they were chasing around each other in comics, and they finally decided to, to marry them off. It, 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 just, it, it just reeks of publicity stunt, not of natural storytelling. Like, if these two characters had been involved for 10, 10, at this 5 to 10 years, 10 to 15 years, and they wanted to do this because anybody reading anything related to X-Men or Alpha Flight or whatever knew about, you know, Northstar and and his partner, it, it just becomes a, part, you know, a bigger deal. The fact that a lot of people don't even know who Northstar is, let alone who Kyle is. <laughs> so you're taking, you're taking a C-list character and, and marrying him off to someone that, that probably 80% of the comic buying world probably doesn't even have a clue as to who he is, and you make it into an event of the caliber of Scott and Gene, Lois and Clark, Peter and Mary Jane, it just rings false to me. It just rings it. It just rings a publicity stunt, not a natural um, storytelling thing. Like not a natural progression for these characters that that we've come to know and love for years and years and years and years. I was just going to agree. I was just I'm in total agreement with what, with that statement, Russ. It just seems like a big publicity stunt. It doesn't seem like anything, uh, you know, nascent at all. I think a comic that's been doing it uh, fairly well and fairly consistently has been uh, Avengers Academy, also over at Marvel, where you're dealing with a bunch of teenage, you know, young to older teenage kids who are discovering who they are as adults and as people and coming to grips with this may be who I am, but society accept it, or uh, is this who I am? Because I'm not quite sure. And I think they've done a really good job of, yeah, I know when Striker came out, that was kind of a. There was some news articles about that. They didn't make a huge deal about it, but comic sites were discussing it. Um, but they've done a good job of, I think, like like you were saying before, a natural progression with these characters who, granted, most of them are newer characters. Um, the one power pack girl whose name I'm blanking on, she's obviously been around for many, many years. But um, they've been doing a good job of it, and it's, it's something that's important for as – you know, I'm a younger guy, but as people who are younger than me or even my own age who are starting to read comics, it's – important that the comics they read reflect the real world around them and the real world has many gay and bisexual people it has people of all different ethnicities and if the comics they're reading are all a bunch of white straight people a it comes off as false especially in the you know marvel universe which is supposed to reflect our real world in particular but it just it's not going to be something that they want to read especially if they identify with uh, with those characters that they want to be reading and aren't there. I just wanted to say, um, Alan Heinberg did a really good job in Young Avengers too, with uh, Hulkling and uh, Wiccan, of kind of just realistically portraying, you know, like you said, Jordan, you know, that part of your life where you're, you know, figuring out who you are. Um, I just wanted to throw that out there as another good example, as opposed to you know the North Star thing, which just seems kind of tacked on. Right. So let's do it with new characters, and you know, new young characters rather than reboot, you know, change something that's been around for 60 or 70 years and force feed it that way. Do you think you'd feel better about that? Like if it wasn't Green Lantern, yeah. if it was, uh, you know. Well, for me, you know, to be honest with you, John, I'm more upset is, is, it, is, it, is probably extreme, but I'm more upset about the fact that they've, they've just 
taken Alan Scott's origin as like the original Green Lantern, original Green Lantern from the Golden Age, and just completely reversed it. So now he's, you know, basically what Earth Two has done is they flipped the they flipped the, you know, the coin, right? So the 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 first batch of of heroes that existed were Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, all that grouping, and the the new batch of heroes is like the. Um, Jay Garrick and Alan Scott and you know and that crew. So to me that I'm more upset about that than I am about the fact that Alan Scott is is come out as as gay. Like that doesn't bother me. I'm more I'm more not into the story they're telling that has nothing to do with his orientation. If the, if that makes Yeah, it does. Absolutely, yeah. Like like this isn't even the same Alan Scott that you, that it was the golden age Alan Scott pre-crisis, so it's they haven't even. It's not like they've taken that character and they've they've said, oh, now all the you know now it turns out this is how he is. It's like it's not even that. Like this is not even the same guy. It's weird that like uh, James Robinson, who wrote like one of my favorite stories about those characters, the Golden Age. You know, it's like coming back and doing is is like flipping it around like this. I, I wasn't really pleased with the Earth Two stuff either. It's in comics. Are, are you guys reading the Owls uh, crossover in Batman and all? Yeah, I've, um, um, I haven't read many of the crossover. I read a couple of the tie-ins, and I was not impressed at all. So I'm pretty much sticking to the main Batman book. Um, and I have not read that annual, as we said. So, yeah, I've got the main Batman book, and the only one I'm reading as a tie-in is Nightwing. And it's it's actually been pretty decent. I think it, it, uh, it adds a pretty cool background to what's going on it it puts an interesting twist on dick grayson's character but i haven't touched any of the other ones and a lot of it is just like i'm i'm very soft on dc new 52 right now um batman is really the only title i'm reading i picked up earth 2 i i really actually liked uh world's finests but uh but yeah pretty much it's just batman so i haven't i haven't strayed too far into the whole night of owls thing yeah, I'm, I'm only reading the core uh, Batman title as well. Uh, I was, you know, I'll check out Nightwing though if you say it's pretty good. Uh, I'm still reading Swamp Thing and Animal Man and Frankenstein: Agent of Shade, but that's about it. While we're talking Batman, uh, has anyone else played Batman: Arkham City: Harley Quinn's Revenge other than myself? No. Enlighten us. Is it worth the money? Uh, yes and no. Okay, so I think most of us have played the regular game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I finished it, yeah. So it's same gameplay. Uh, the gameplay is split, split up between you playing as Batman and you playing as Robin. Um, basically, the game starts and Robin is searching for Batman because Batman disappeared about two days ago after uh, a bunch of cops were taken hostage by Harley Quinn. He goes in to save them. He goes missing. So Robin goes in to save them. You know, half an hour, 45 minutes and whatever, you switch and you see what happened to Batman during that time. And then it switches back and forth. Uh, once more, I think. So two spots is Batman, two spots is Robin. Um, it's fairly short. I'll say hour and a half to two hours, depending on how many times you die. Uh, it's fun to play as Robin. If you've done any of the challenge rooms as him, you already know that. He's got some fun, different moves. I think the biggest failing, aside from the fact that it's kind of short for 10 bucks, like it was over and done with before I felt like I really got my, ch- my a chance to sink my teeth in, is story-wise, it's kind of just bland. Like, it feels like there's a lot of story to mine there. I mean, without spoiling the end of Arkham City, there's a lot of reasons for Harley Quinn to be really ticked off at Batman, particularly one you learn right in the beginning of the DLC, which um, involves an Easter egg towards the end of the game involving her 
and uh, the Joker and something I won't spoil, they almost immediately, right in the beginning of the game, I, I guess retcon is the right word. Not, not retcon is not the right word, but they undo that. They they show you that that is no longer the case. And people who've played the game know what I'm talking about. Um, and it feels like, oh, okay, that's great. Now funnel that into the story. That's another reason for her to be really ticked off at Batman. It never comes up once. And it just feels like they had a lot of possibilities for this. But if they couldn't really make the story stand alone on its own, maybe they should have held it for the next Batman Arkham whatever game or something. Like it feels like it should have been part of something larger. And instead it's just a half an hour or an hour and a half to two hour chunk that doesn't really do a whole lot. So it's fun, especially if you like the main game. But I don't know that it's worth $10. It felt like it should have been held for the next one. I uh, have a downloadable game I'd like to recommend if I could. Uh, called Fez. It's an indie title. It's available on Steam. It's also available on Xbox Live Arcade and uh, PSN. It's uh, it's really kind of cool. It's like, imagine Super Mario Brothers, but redesigned by MC. It's like a two-dimensional platformer, much like your original Super Mario Brothers, you know, Mario Brothers 2, Mario World, etc. But as you progress through the game, you become um, aware of the third dimension, and you're able to shift the entire world 90 degrees in either direction so you can find your know, shortcuts will open up or um I, I saw the similar mechanic in paper mario once but this is taking it to a whole new extreme um it, it's got all of the uh the tropes of your old school platformers uh bombs cranks you know time things or whatever so if you love the old school platforming games it's great and it's got this really cool twist of being a 2d 3d you have to use manipulate the uh, third dimension to be able to get through a lot of the uh the challenges and puzzles and find your way to the end of the game it's it's really kind of cool it's cool to kind of bend your brain that way and uh it's it's really fun it's uh, ten dollars on uh, Xbox Live Arcade. I'm, I know it's available, like I said, on Steam and uh, uh, PSN. I'm, I'm sure it's compar- comparably priced there as well. But if you like old-school uh, Nintendo, old-school Super Nintendo-type uh, platformers and you want to play one with a twist that's really uh, thoughtful and well-made, I definitely recommend Fez. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about that, and I've heard it, it can be crazy in-depth. Like, if you try to open every door... Yeah, you you have to like uh, different areas. Once you finish them or found everything in them, they they turn gold, and there are always areas that aren't that haven't turned gold all the time. There are a lot of really cool and ingenious puzzles built into the game. Uh, I'm not, I don't really want to spoil anything, but uh, there's one time I had to use a smartphone in the game. Uh, there was one time I had to uh, you know look at my phone and, and dial a number to to figure out a pattern in the game. Uh, I had to refer to Tetris at one point. Uh, it's really cool, and there are a lot of shout-outs to old-school games, and it's it's really well thought out and uh, and, and fun, and, and uh, just kind of you know mindless fun is cool after playing a lot of uh, you know violent shooters or, or what have you. It's nice to kind of play this kind of light, you know, enter- entertaining fair. It's an indie game. It was made by basically by one guy uh, over the past four years, and uh, it's really uh, well crafted and cool. I enjoyed it a lot. Cool. Yeah, yeah I heard a lot of good things about it. Yeah, definitely. And I've heard there's like crazy message boards out there with people like helping each other do the, all the puzzles or like running lists of how to do everything and stuff like that. It sounds like it's really... Uh... I was listening to the Giant Bomb cast and uh, the, one of the guys on there had played it and he had, you have to find these cubes and I think there are a total of uh, 36 in the whole game, 36 regular cubes and 36 anti-cubes. And he had found them all and he'd still only completed, I think, 54% of the game. 
So there are a lot of secrets and puzzles, and, and there's a warp zone. Um, if you remember old school Mario, you know, you jump above the, the bricks and find the warp zone or what have you some, in some levels. Uh, there's a, a tribute to Minus World, if you know what that is, in the old uh, Super Mario games. Um, it's it's oh, really yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. If you remember those games with uh, any kind of fondness like I do, you really dig Fez because it'll remind you of uh, it'll remind you of Super Mario, it'll remind you of Bomberman in some points, it'll remind you of Sonic. Uh, it, it, it borrows from a lot of really great games and then puts that two D three D twist on them, so you have to kind of manipulate the environment to find your way through. There's something to be said for kind of the I'll call it for lack of a better term the meta game of looking stuff up these days that I really enjoy like seems like back in the day it might have been considered cheating to have to like go ask somebody oh how do you beat this or how do you find this whereas these days with a lot of games half the fun is just interacting with other players across the world and finding out oh there's 17 other ways I could have done this or there's uh, if I just do this one special thing there's a secret right there and it no longer feels like a negative oh I had to look it up now it's a oh look what all this new stuff I learned just by interacting with other people I kind of like that Plus, I mean, it, it reminded me somewhat of Portal in the way that when you figure out your way through a Portal room or a Portal puzzle, you feel like a genius at the end of it. Right. When you figure out, you know, you figure out some of the puzzles and more esoteric things that are going on in Feds, you feel the same way. You get that kind of blast in your brain, like, "Wow, I'm smart. I figured this out." You know. Very cool. John, John, please, please tell us about Max Payne Three because I'm dying to play it, man. I love the first two games a lot. But well, please it- give us your review entirely in bullet time. Um, it doesn't make you feel smart, <laughs> but uh, Max Payne 3 is freaking awesome. How about that? I don't remember. I vaguely remember playing Max Payne 1 and 2 a little bit. Like, I remember the bullet time, and I remember the painkillers for extra health and stuff like that, but I really don't remember much more. Um, were they first person? No. Okay. They were third person. Yeah, this is this is third person as well. They've added a bit of a cover system. Um, What makes the cover system cool is that the AI is really good in the game. So, like, if you just hide behind something, they're going to move on you. They're going to advance. So you can't just sit behind a wall or hiding, you know, below a desk or or something like that. Um, They're going to come after you. They're going to flank you. They're going to make you come out of that spot. So that's really cool. The gameplay is some of the best gameplay I've ever played it's a great combination of like run and gun but with enough of the left trigger aiming um so that you're not just shooting anywhere uh you can change the level of how much it auto aims for you so in other words if you pop out from behind a ledge and hold that left trigger it'll kind of put the put your laser sighter on an enemy uh, three levels of that so it can you know if you play the really if you, if you turn it up real high, it'll like pretty much aim you for a headshot. If you put it on medium, you'll be around the guy's body frame, or you can get no help at all, which I can't even imagine how you'd play this game with no aiming help at all. Um, still has the bullet time. It's linear. It's definitely not open world, but they have a really cool way of moving you in the right direction. Um, after you finish off all the enemies in the area and begin walking... It'll kind of, your character will keep walking, but you realize that you're not pushing him forward anymore. It's kind of gone into like this half a cutscene 
Um, but rather than changing into a full cutscene, you're still watching your guy walk away, and there are all the bodies laying there that you just you know destroyed. And then you'll get a little voiceover, and it'll kind of move you in the right direction. And then the door like locks behind you after you walk through. So all right, I'm going the right way. I got to go this way now. Um, I love the way they work the cutscenes in. You'll jump out of a window glass breaking everywhere and you'll be flying through the air in slow-mo in a cutscene and then you'll realize that your pointer just went live so as you're flying to the ground you have to start taking shots at the enemies that are waiting on the ground for you Uh, and if you don't hit all three of them when you land one of them will probably shoot you and you'll die and you'll have to you know back up and do that again uh awesome blood of course great weapons uh you know it's just a super fun game i I, the story is cool i know have you guys seen like the pictures and trailers and you get like the shaven head max Payne with like the you know an older version with the beard and stuff they do a really looks looks great looks like you know rock star production values are still golden you know yeah it's they do a great story of bouncing back and forth to like how, you know, ending up the way Max is now and you flash back and have to play levels with, like, the old Max Payne. And I've, I've been telling Russ, I think, that they should have just... This is just diehard, the game. I mean, they could have easily yeah. called this John McClane instead of Max Payne. Uh, there's so many levels where it feels it so... even rhymed. Yeah. They, uh, there's so many levels that feel like diehard. I mean, you're, like, invading a sports stadium... Or I should say a sports stadium is being invaded. So there's all these armed, like, terrorist guys running around the stadium, and you're totally on your own. Getting fired. You're in an office building and getting fired on by helicopters. I mean, it's just it's just really a lot of fun. I mean, after pl- I'm not done with it yet. Uh, when I'm done with the single player, I'm definitely buying the season pass because I want every other level that they give out. And I've heard the multiplayer is excellent. I haven't even touched it yet. Uh, and there are also arcade levels, they call them, where they put you in one of the situations from the single-player game, and then you'll get, like, a timer where you have to kill everybody or you have to survive for a certain period of time while they send wave after wave of bad guy after you. stuff. So uh, I'm totally down with Max Payne 3. I, I wasn't expecting a ton. I wasn't really planning on buying it, and then I saw some good reviews and picked it up, and... It's. I mean, right now, it's my game of the year for uh, for the duties, no doubt. Yeah, I heard the bullet time in multiplayer is based on line of sight rather than area. So if you have someone in your sights and you go into bullet time, then you and he are in bullet time rather than it being like an area effect. And that, that works out pretty well in multiplayer, but it sounds like a great game. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. There's just. I mean, it's two discs, which I haven't seen in a long time. So after you get past a certain story point... You're you're using disc two rather than disc one to continue, um, and then, Mass Effect and, three was two. That's the only one of, other one I've seen recently. Which one? Mass Effect three. Oh, okay. Yes, and I mean you know there's tons of different uh, scene you know the scenery and the different locations that they put you in and everything. It's uh, it's it's really been been fun. So I totally recommend it. I'm interested to see what they do for the DLC. I mean DLC is kind of a sketchy thing right now. I mean. Some of the stuff, like, you know what, like Modern Warfare and, and, you know, they give you a couple of new multiplayer maps and stuff, and that's okay, but I, I'd be happy to see some extended uh, single-player gameplay and stuff like that. 
Russ, how's the uh, Lord of Darkness been treating you recently? It's good. I, I, I have a public service announcement to make first. Um, and this is just a word of advice to everyone. If you, br- if you drop your phone and break the glass and think, hey, I could probably replace that and fix that without too much trouble, don't. Because you will F up your phone <laughs> and probably break the LCD and be SOL. So don't. Just take it to somebody. Some things are better left to professionals, as I found out the hard way this evening. So call you on your landline if I need exactly, you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, Russell 1.0. I did a game. I've been, my work schedule lately has just been insane, and I'm hoping it's, it's about to lighten up here in the next couple weeks. But So I haven't been able to play Old Republic at all because Old Republic is not something you can kind of jump in, play for 10 minutes or 30 minutes, and jump out. I mean you have to dedicate time just by the way the game is laid out. Um, it makes more sense to kind of play it in bigger chunks. One does um, not I simply just, walk into Coruscant. Exactly, exactly. So I, I just haven't had the time to dedicate. So Diablo 3 came out. I really wasn't going to get it, but I was like, you know what? I need something that I can just, like after I've been working at night, I could just close my laptop, put it away, and just do something mindless for 20, 30, 40 minutes at a crack. And uh, so I picked up Diablo 3. In general, it's Diablo. I mean, if you play Diablo 1 and play Diablo 2, you're playing Diablo 3. I mean, it's it's there's nothing overly revol- revolutionary about it. Um, it definitely looks better than Diablo 1 or 2. Um, and, you know, being that it's been 10 years since the last one, that's, that's no surprise. Um, but the gameplay is basically the same. You know, there, there are some, some newer concepts to it um, that have expanded upon. I know the, the first Diablo was very, very linear. I don't know if you guys played, played Diablo 1 or 2 back in the day. But very, very linear. Diablo 2 opened it up a little bit where there were more like little side quests in different areas you can go in. Um, and, and Diablo 3 kind of expands on that a little more, um, at least so far. You know, cool weapons, there's cool armor, there's cool stif- stuff to pick up, there's cool people you talk to. Um, the abilities are kind of neat. Um, uh, graphically, it looks pretty... What I noticed about this, I don't think you have to have a super powerhouse to be able to play it. I mean, yeah, you'd have to dial back the detail down, but... In general, this is not the kind of game where you look at it. Like when you look at Old Republic and you're playing it at high detail, you're like, wow, this game looks pretty dang good. And I'm you know, sure things like Max Payne and, and you know, recent first-person shooters and things like that, you look at it and you're like, wow, this looks amazing. Um, Diablo 3, if you, if you dialed it back, I don't think it really hurts the gaming experience. So if you've kind of got a, like a mid-range PC and maybe a lower-end video card, I think you'll, you'll be able to play it just fine. Um, one of the things on the display settings that allows you to do is set different f- max frame rates for foreground and background objects. So, you know, if you don't really care that fire crackles and campfires are going at 60 frames per second, you know, you could crank that way down um, and then put more emphasis on your characters and the monsters and stuff you're fighting and things like that. Um, so that's that's kind of cool. But um, the only thing, and so far it really hasn't been too, too much of a problem, but just from a conceptual standpoint... I have an issue with is you have to be online even to play the single player game to purchase a game and to be able to play it just offline. Like, I mean, for me, it doesn't really affect me. I don't have a laptop that I could, I could play the thing on. I'm not usually in an area where I don't have some sort of Wi-Fi or something going on, but it's not like even steam or some of the other games where you have to be connected to start. And then it doesn't matter if you're connected to the internet or not, you have to remain connected. Um, and I have seen a couple times where I've had some weird latency issues. Um, 
and having latency issues on a single player game that you're running basically from your hard drive is a little unsettling. Um, See, that was the big issue they had also on uh, one of the video game podcasts I listened to was the, the day it premiered, they had huge server problems because everybody was trying to log in at once. And even on single player, like you say, Russ, nobody was able to play their game on launch day because you have to be online to play it. If it's just one day, not a huge deal. But like I said, I had weird latency problems where I was you know, running around fighting stuff and I was clicking on guys and nothing was happening. And then you know, all of a sudden it would catch up. And, you know, what sucks is if you're in the middle of something heavy and you get killed, then you have to go back and, you know, kind of restart the level or whatever, which kind of sucks. Again, for a single-player game. And I, I, I realize that a lot of it revolves around the auction house, which is something they added for Diablo 3 where you could buy and sell, you know, key items and things like that. And the, the amount of cheating that was going on with Diablo 1 and 2 were epic. Um, so I know part of the reason why they do the whole stay on online thing is so – um, you know, you can't connect, go off, you know, with your character in one state, go offline and either hack the character or, you know, do something kind of hinky, you know, with, with, you know, getting items from somebody else and then logging back in. And now you're, you know, a big badass. I, I know, uh, you know, that that's a lot of it, but it just, like I said, it just seems odd that, you know, you can't take a, a single player game and like get on an airplane with your, you know, Alienware laptop or whatever and just crank away at it. That's a little unsettling. But for me, like I said, doesn't isn't that really that big of a deal unless my internet goes down and then I'd be kind of pissy. But um, but it's fun. I mean, again, like I said, it's Diablo. I mean, if if you if you enjoy playing Diablo, you'll enjoy playing Diablo three. I mean, there's nothing like I said overly revolutionary about it, but it is a lot of fun. I. I um, the character classes are pretty cool. I'd like to play multiplayer. It is kind of fun to be able to have somebody, you know, kind of go side by side and and, and go through the game. Um, it's kind of built around replayability um, because harder difficulties get unlocked once you go through the game, the full game once, um, and and then you get access to better items and more rare items and you know just crazy different stuff going on. So, um, like I said, it's just something mindless, you know, too, which again, um, it, it's kind of fun to be able to just kind of turn your brain off and, and just, uh, you know, mindlessly click, you know, your mouse button on 50,000 different things. Are the visuals in three mostly like two in terms of like pulled away, like that sort of three yeah, quarters that, overhead? Yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah, that, that kind of isometric view. That, that's one of the complaints I actually have. You know, like with games like Dungeon Siege that kind of take the similar um, perspective to it, you could kind of rotate the world around so as kind of stuff gets in your way, you could kind of um, flip things around to, to unobstruct yourself or to see around things. You can't do that in Diablo 3, or if you have, I haven't found how it's possible, and I've been through, you know, help guides and, and key mapping and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you pretty much have two views, right? You have the zoom-out view, which is the typical Diablo view, and then you have the zoom-in view, which gets a close-up around your character. Um, and I have it playing at, like, 1080, and when you zoom in, if there's a bush or a building or something in your, in your view when you zoom in, it completely obstructs your view. Like, it doesn't either go transparent or, like I said, it doesn't allow you to kind of spin the world around so that you get that stuff out of your way. It zooms a little too tight for me, I think, because if you're wandering through a dungeon and if you have it zoomed in all the way, it's real easy to kind of walk into like 30 guys, you know, unexpectedly. And then you're like, holy crap. Um, So you end up zooming out. And when you zoom out all the way, you know, you really don't get a really 
um, appreciation for the visuals, right? When you zoom in, you know, you can see how good the textures look and, you know, your characters, you know, um, take up more space on the screen and that kind of thing. But I, I wish it was almost like um, uh, like a wheel mouse scroll where you can kind of, you know, zoom in slowly or zoom out slowly that you could kind of control that a little better instead of just either in or out. Well, I'll jump in. How many of you guys like good games? Me, I, I like good games. games. I, what I about don't. cheap you games? You like fun? <laughs> <laughs> what about cheap games? You guys like cheap games? Cheap Even games that. are my favorite. Well, then have I got a deal for you. Uh, are you guys familiar with the Humble Bundle? Yes. The Humble yeah. Indie Bundle, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. Well, for anybody who's listening who's not familiar with this, check out HumbleBundle.com. And what they do is a couple times a year, they'll put out a thing called the Humble Indie Bundle. Right now, they're on the Humble Indie Bundle number five. Um, they've done five main ones. They've done a couple themed ones. I think they've done at least two for Android games. But here's the basic idea. Four games. And, and for, the, for the fifth one, anyway, there's four games. Amnesia, The Dark Descent, which I've never heard of, but I'm sure it's just great. Uh, Psychonauts, which is a classic game that I'm not so much into, but I know tons of people who absolutely love it. Limbo, which uh, is... I played, I played Psychonauts, which was awesome. And Limbo, and there, that was a great game, too. Yeah, Limbo's awesome. Uh, Super Brothers, Sword and Sorcery, and all of their soundtracks, and you can pay whatever you want for them. Now, if you choose to pay a dollar or more, you get all of those games, all of their soundtracks, and a Steam code for all four games, so you can play them directly through Steam. Then you can also see – and the website's very intuitive. It has all the information right there. You can see the average price that everyone has paid for the game. Currently, as I look at the website, the average is $7.86. If you pay more than $7.86 – and by the time you look at this, it may be different, um, the exact average. But if you pay any more than that, you also get the game Bastion, which is also fantastic, and its soundtrack and the Steam code for all of these games. So – you pay $7.87 as of this particular second. You'll get all five games, all their soundtracks, and then you get to choose how your money split up. Do you want all of it to go to the developers to help them out? Do you want it to go to charity? Do you want to uh, go to the Humble Bundle site, or do you want to do a mix? You have full control, control over how much you want to pay, how much you want to go to all these different people, and it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, I will say this. The, I think I paid $7.50 because the average was a little bit cheaper the other day. And the soundtrack for Bastion alone is worth that money. But if you've played any of these games before, you know they're – at least the ones I've played are absolutely fantastic. Their soundtracks are awesome. It's worth way more than $7.86. But you can have them for that cheap. And if you check out this website, like I said, a couple times a year, they have these different bundles. And I bought the last one. The last one had – um had Super Meat Boy, Shank, Bit Trip Runner, Cave Story Plus, and their soundtracks as well. These deals are just so awesome, and it's it's a really cool thing to check out and help support. Because, like I said, the money's going to the developers and to charity, so it's very cool. And mostly, they're all PC. Are any of them like Android oh, yeah, or iOS or all different? five of these games? When you buy them, you get the PC version, the Mac version, and the Linux version. So, regardless of what computer console or computer pot platform you are using you'll be able to play these games assuming your computer is not you know from 1986 so that's absolutely awesome all of them all the platforms all the soundtracks uh you just got to pay one cent more than the current average whatever that might be nice so yeah check that out humblebundle.com 
Yeah, I guess uh, since we're on the video game tip, tomorrow uh, begins E3 at the Microsoft press conference. I think it's around noon, and they're going to be showing off uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 2 for the first time to the public uh, in motion, I guess, and a bunch of other stuff. What do you guys want to see at E3 this year? Do you want to maybe a new console teased, or they're supposed to show off the Wii U for the first time to the public uh, actually in motion and working? So uh, anything you guys are looking forward to? No, nothing that really, you know, comes to mind. I mean, you know, at this point, I'd almost, you know, there's, there's kind of, it's kind of gone back and forth. Is Microsoft going to show off the next gen console? There's, you know, for you know, Microsoft has publicly come out and said no. They came back a while out, a while back, and said no, which at this point means to me there's not going to be another Microsoft next gen console coming in 2012, maybe not even 2013. Um, if they haven't, you know, made any kind of announcement, but I don't think it's going to happen. I, I think they're still trying to, um, the, you know, the 360 keeps expanding and expanding upon what it can do beyond a gaming console. And I think to come out with another generation of hardware at this point undermines that a little bit, you know, because all those deals are finally in place and no telling if, if a next gen console comes out, if those are going to be a part of the initial launch or if they're going to have to wait or, um, you know, what the scoop is. I don't think Sony's going to be ready until at least, um, I expect we'll probably get a PS4 probably 2014 is my, is my guess. I think Microsoft is probably going to have another big software update like they did last year, if you remember, yeah. uh, when they redid the dashboard. I think they're definitely going to do something like that because they've been really successful with you know updating that uh, that hardware through you know downloadable structuring. I mean, they've been able to get a lot of juice out of what's what uh, it's almost a ten year old box now. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's definitely starting to show its age though, um, and I think you know some of the newer stuff that's coming out and the difference it looks. You know, between the P- PC and the the consoles are starting to show a little bit more, um, but to, you know, to me, it's more about convenience. Um, you know, I'll take a little, you know, a slight degradation in you know overall video quality over the fact that I could just pick up a controller and just play a game and put the disc in there and not have to worry about installing and you know patching constantly and com- hardware software incompatibilities and all that other stuff going on. But yeah, I mean I know we're not getting Grand Theft Auto 5 either. I guess they Rockstar's pulled that off of um E3, which I thought would be a big showing because we saw that teaser at the end of last year. Definitely uh, hoping to see more uh, of Halo 4. I think that's going to be one of yeah. Microsoft's big temples. Uh, I think Nintendo's going to definitely have to really sell people on the idea of the Wii U to sell a new console in this economy, to be honest. And I, I, I don't really know what Sony... I mean, Sony has a lot of... Uh, they've let like a lot of their, their first-party uh, properties really you know, grow and blossom, and a lot of their first-party developers are doing new things now. Naughty Dog has moved on from Uncharted to uh, a new game that kind of looks like The Walking Dead called The Last of Us. That game looks absolutely amazing. Doesn't it, though? It looks incredible. It's one of the best-looking games I've seen. Um, I, the Tomb Raider reboot looks very interesting from Square Enix. The new um, Assassin's Creed 3, set in the Revolutionary War here in America, looks incredible. I mean, I'm just I'm looking forward to a lot, seeing a lot of really great games and actually seeing them in action rather than just you know screen captures that we've seen so far. So, um, uh, Star Wars 1313 that they just uh, finally announced what that's all about. 
uh, just a couple nights ago on Game Trailers uh, TV. Uh, you get to play as a bounty hunter in like the underbelly of Coruscant between uh, I think it's the fourth and fifth movies, uh, how, uh, hunting bounty and uh, you know living that life. They they're very cagey about whether you get to play as Boba Fett or not, or whether you're playing as some other character. But I I couldn't see them not using Boba Fett in that. I agree, Russ. I don't think. We're going to see uh, a new console probably uh, from Sony or Microsoft this year or next. I think there might be a tease for it, but I don't think we're going to see anything solid. Uh, but I definitely think there's going to be a big, uh, another big, you know, um, uh, software update from uh, from Microsoft, and uh, they're bound to add more features. Um, I'm not sure what else, but uh, it seems like that's their strategy or has been the past few years. I, I know Jim and I would both like to see. Uh, the next installment in the Half-Life universe, although Valve has said that's not going to happen this E3, or at least won't be announced this E3, but we'd certainly both like to see that. And they just announced a new Gears of War uh, game made by the people that did Bulletstorm, which Bulletstorm is a very underrated game. That game is a lot of fun. Uh, the studio is called People Can Fly, uh, but they've been bought by Epic, and they're making a new Gears of War game, and we've you know, barely seen anything of that. I'm sure Microsoft will be showing that off, too. Uh, the other one, I guess, that has me intrigued is the next um, the next God of War game, where they're trying to implement a lot more multiplayer elements to it. So that you know, that's something I'll, I'll keep an eye out because I'm a huge God of War fan. I guess we mentioned the Aliens game. I was really looking forward to that one. So I don't know. Maybe we'll get to see more, even though it's pushed yeah, we, back. Yeah, they pushed that back till twenty third or next year now, right? Yeah, February, I believe. I know they yeah, did February. the same thing with Bioshock Infinite got pushed uh, to 2013 as well. Yeah, I mean, to me anymore, that's just video games, right? I mean, I, you know, I can't even remember a game that, especially anything high profile to any degree, that hasn't gotten pushed at least once and for at least six months. I mean, it's a rarity that it seems like games, when they announce a release date, you know, early on or even midway, tends to stick. I mean, you know, look how long they've been talking about Diablo 3. And I just hate... Uh, well, one thing maybe we could talk about a little bit as well is, uh, you know, G.I. Joe Retaliation getting pushed back. And, and I, I always equate video games being pushed back to movies and that, you know, is this like reshoots? You know, like, was this thing broken and now they have to fix it? Is this going to be a problem type thing? Or, I have a theory. Uh, you know, or they fine-tune The only it. thing I would say different between a movie and a game is that in theory, a game starts broken. Regardless of how you want to look at it, the game, what they start with day one, you know, with a movie, once you've filmed it, you have all the pieces you need, theoretically, if you've done it correctly, to put it together, there's your movie. And I know it's a lot more complicated than that, but like I'm saying, in theory. With a video game, from day one, you start broken. And everything you add to that adds more broken pieces that you need to fix. So I think for a movie, it much more signifies a problem than a game because with a game, it just means we still have more things to fix. Every game, regardless of whether it's great when it ends or whether it's terrible when it ends, is broken for most of the production. And a lot of the working on the game is just fixing the many, many thousands upon thousands of bugs that will, not could, but will present themselves throughout the creation of the game. Right, and I, and I could agree with that, but the other parallel that I make is that the Aliens game was supposed to come out in the fall, which is when you get your huge blitz of all the big Christmas titles. And, you know, like G.I. Joe Retaliation was supposed to come out in the summer, and they probably moved it because they didn't want it to get killed after the disaster of, uh, what was it, Battleship? 
and John it, Carter. Right. And now they're going to, you know, now they're going to try to add 3D. They're going to jazz it up. They're going to put it out in the winter when it's got less competition. You know, that seems like and, it and could apparently, be apparently spoilers. They may be adding a lot more Channing Tatum. You know, here's a video game that's supposed to come out in the heavy video game season. So is pushing it back in fear of, you know, maybe weak reviews that are going to get it squashed by Black Ops 2 and, you know, all the other stuff coming out? You know, I don't know. I hope not. I'm going to buy it either way because I've been waiting for a game where you can, you know, shoot the, the aliens. Um, right. So, so I'm going to so try. But, I think uh, video games, though, are starting to start to see that they can't just release all their games during two month-long sections of the year. And I think we're going to start to see a lot more of them spreading out year-round, having big releases, so they're not all stepping all over each other. Plus, by February, a lot of the Call of Duty uh, fan base and a lot of the Halo fan base is going to be looking for something else to play. And along comes Alien Colonial Marines, and here's a brand new shooter from Gearbox who made Borderlands and Borderlands 2, which is also coming out this fall. I think, it, um, you know, and they, now they have a new game, you know, a new shooter to play. I think the fact that Borderlands is coming out this fall by Gearbox, also the people that, you know, made the Aliens game might have something to do with it, too. They don't want to have their own game competing with another one of their games, you know what I mean? Like, if they put out too close together, they would yeah. be competing with themselves. On the G.I. Joe retaliation thing, I think... 90% of it was probably a reaction to the fact that between we've gone from Hunger Games to Avengers and then the Dark Dark Knight Rises is coming and I think they were just like there's no space you know we need this movie to make X and given how much momentum and how much air those three movie well those two movies at this point have sucked out of the box office um, and the third one most likely will. I just think they were just afraid of it getting buried in that, you know, they could, they could, you know, pull it back, you know, jazz it up a little bit, you know, like, like Jordan said, um, Channing Tatum has kind of become a little bit of a, a hot item in Hollywood. So, you know, m- maybe, you know, add that factor to it. But I mean, it, it's just amazing how I, I never would have thought that. A, the Hunger Games would do as well as it did, and B, you know, I was pretty solid on the Avengers doing well, but I never would have imagined it doing this well. And right. it, it's just it's just slaughtering everything. I mean, look at Men in Black, okay? Men in Black 3 didn't do horrible, but a big Temple Will Smith movie back to a sequel franchise, I really thought that, that Men in Black 3 for the weekend, not, not the four-day weekend, but the three-day weekend, would be closer to the 100 million range just because... Of, of what it was and for it to do 55 over the three and then like 70 over the four i thought was just kind of soft and you know i think pulling back gi joe was probably a, a a very wise decision you know put it out at a time when um it could it could maybe have more legs you know maybe have a chance to stay out at the box office longer until the you know the until some of that early summer stuff starts to come out um but yeah, I, I just think any anybody now having a movie come out that the rest of the summer that was hoping for, you know, close to the two hundred million dollar range is probably just like quaking in their boots. Well, speaking of Avengers box office, let's talk about that real quick. Um, I was just reading while looking up one other thing. I, I found this article that says they the, the Avengers box office was more than fifty percent of all the box office money made in May. Just one movie did more than half of all the box office. But the bigger story, the one I was looking up, was as of 
well, er- earlier this week, as people are listening to this, Avengers is now the third highest grossing movie of all time, both domestic and foreign. They have made, you know, they are now only behind of, uh, uh, Avatar and Titanic. They passed Dark Knight and they passed the last Harry Potter movie. That is amazing. And uh, well-earned and fantastic, I think. I, I absolutely love it. And Joss Whedon fans all over the world feel justified. <laughs> yeah. Shiny. Oh, I was just going to follow that up real quick with uh, it, it looks like maybe the Chris Hemsworth effect is uh, continuing on because Snow White and the Huntsman was number one last weekend, which um, sort of surprised me. But I, I guess I could see where that getting a little cross genre, um, a bit of a push. It didn't do too bad. Fifty six million, I think. Um, I would imagine Universal's probably happy with that. It um, certainly looked impressive, but I've heard pretty negative things about the movie as a, as a whole. My wife wants to see it. Jim, you uh, you have some news for us about the Avengers Blu-ray set, don't you? Yeah, they uh, announced the uh, release date, September 25th. Uh, they also announced several different versions and flavors of the uh, Avengers Blu-ray. Uh, you can get I call Blu-ray Raspberry. There's the, uh, the four-disc combo pack, which gives you a Blu-ray 3D, a Blu-ray, a DVD, and a digital comic. And that's uh, currently on Amazon for 35 There's the two-disc Blu-ray DVD combo, which is $27.99 on the Amazons. And then you have the, uh, the two-disc, and there's another packaging uh, for that set. And then you have the Avengers DVD. Now, I don't even have a Blu-ray player yet, but I might go ahead and buy this on Blu-ray just because of all of the features that are on the Blu-ray that are not available anywhere near the DVD, including commentary track by Joss Whedon, uh, Disney's second screen feature, you get behind-the-scenes featurettes, uh, assembling the ultimate team, it's called, a little thing about how they got the team together, uh, Marvel one-shot short film, item 47, about my, my man Phil Coulson, and a lot of uh, deleted scenes, an alternate opening, and uh, all kinds of fun extended scenes, even an alternate ending. Uh, and if you're in the Soundgarden, you get a music video and a gag reel, which would be cool. Um, I think the th- the main thing I want to uh, uh, mention to everyone, though, and this will be for the ultimate collectors that are listening, um, the Phase one, the Marvel Cinematic Universe colon Phase One dash Avengers Assembled ten disc limited edition six movie collector set on Blu-ray. Uh, this is going on uh, Amazon's right now for about 153 bucks. But you get the Avengers on Blu-ray 3D and Blu-ray, Captain America on Blu-ray 3D and Blu-ray, Thor on Blu-ray 3D and Blu-ray, and then Iron Man 2, Incredible Hulk, the original Iron Man, all on Blu-ray, and then a bonus Blu-ray disc called the Phase 1 Archives. And they're saying collectible packaging, uh, but they're not really revealing what that packaging is right now. The, The official picture has... It look, it's a shield logo with a a, a blanket uh, covering the, the the big case. Looks like it might be, and, and Ken kind of chimed in on this because I saw it was a briefcase, which kind of reminded me of the um, Blade Runner set when it came out. But it, it he said it kind of resembled the the briefcase that Fury had the uh, uh, cosmic cube in from that end scene in Thor, and then from uh, from Avengers. Yeah, that was my thought too. If it comes with a replica of the Destroyer gun, though, I am in. One other thing in, in Blu-ray that I wonder if it's a trend that, that we're going to be seeing now. And Russ pointed me towards this. If you pre-order Prometheus, they'll give you uh, movie ticket money to see it. 
So you're pre-ordering the Blu-ray for a movie that has not been released yet for a ticket to see that movie. Now, what happens if you see the movie and you hate it? <laughs> Can you cancel the pre-order on the Blu-ray? I, don't know, I wonder that's a good question. if, yeah, I wonder if it charges you after the period of time. In other words, the the coupon hasn't activated itself yet. I guess it activates on the day the movie is released. I I got mine in my email today. So you got your hard cop like the barcoded coupon. You're saying? No, no I got the voucher. Right. That says, so did I. Yeah. Okay. But I wasn't charged for the Blu-ray. Right. So maybe when you when that barcode gets scanned that you use the movie coupon, they're going to charge us for the disc. The only other thing I could think of is if you cancel your maybe if you cancel your pre-order that they'll ding you for the 10 bucks. Right. You know, cuz there's I mean they had to have thought of that, right? Cuz I mean normally Amazon doesn't charge you until the item ships. Well, obviously <laughs> you're going to see this movie in the theater before the Blu-ray ships, so they're kind of um, hedging their bet a little bit. I got to tell you, though, I was not... You have to figure that that's in some sort of disclaimer. You would think. I can't... I couldn't find it anywhere in any of the fine print of any of the, you know, different emails that came out on the site where they advertised for the deal. Yeah. It's just interesting. And then people... I was reading uh, some Blu-ray.com uh, message boards and... People were saying that it could be a sign of, like, they know the movie's weak, so they're trying to get pre-orders for the Blu-ray before people see it. But it's only, supposedly, that Blu-ray pre-order thing is only the first 5,000. Right. right. So whether that's actually true or not, maybe that's a gimmick to try and get people to be like, oh, ooh, I got to get it you know, before it, it expires kind of thing, and you know, they're really not going to count it. You know, it's hard to say. I think somebody may have mentioned that it was done with Men in Black 3 as well. Oh, interesting. I didn't catch it I, for that, and I wouldn't. I don't. I wouldn't be interested in, in picking up that movie anyway. So, yeah, I, I know Men in Black one and two. If you buy them on Blu-ray, because I think two is new on Blu-ray, it gives you movie cash to go see three. So, you know, it's like twelve fifty. I know at one point it was like twelve fifty just for each Blu-ray, and then, um, you know, the movie, you know, movie cash. The only thing, the only negative thing with movie cash sometimes is. If you're going opening weekend to a high-profile movie, you can't use the movie cash. And if you don't pre-order your ticket, you're probably not going to you know, get to the showing you want. So it's kind of a tough – you know, for me, I always, I, I always take advantage of it when it's movies that I know either I'm going to maybe see it when it goes a little soft or you know, when I'm not running out to something I know is going to immediately sell out. They also – I guess we do a little – this will air Thursday, so you'd have probably a few more days to uh, to do this deal. Uh, Best Buy did like a Father's Day promotion where they've re-released a bunch of Warner Brothers Blu-ray titles uh, in Steelbook editions. So for 10 bucks, you can grab a Steelbook of uh, The Dark Knight Rises, Batman Begins, 300, Book of Eli, Inception, uh, a bunch Such of a nice Steelbook cases for 10 bucks. And the cool thing is... Both of the Batman movies come with $5 movie cash for The Dark Knight Rises. So you're actually picking up a Steelbook edition of The Dark Knight for 5 bucks, which is Those very Steelbooks cool. are just so cool, too. I mean, I've, I've got a couple of them, and they're, uh, I don't know why. It's just, it, you know, it doesn't change 
the movie watching experience, but there's just something about that steel book that's just pretty cool. Yeah, they beat the blue snap case. That's for sure. And the art's usually pretty cool on them as well. Just having on like that screened on art rather than the slip of yeah. paper and the. So if you're looking for a gift for a dad or a grad, as they say this time of year, uh, there's a bunch of ten dollar Blu-rays in steel books that are pretty nice. So John, how do you feel about RoboCop playing Batman? Oh, that's awesome. We should also mention that, um, what did Warners just send out? The uh, Superman, Superman versus, versus the Elite. Elite. Yeah. The Superman versus the Elite new animated feature from Warner Brothers has a sneak preview for The Dark Knight Returns, in which Peter Weller will be the voice of Batman. That's what Jim speaks of, if anybody's not in the know on that one. Uh, and I haven't, it was Superman versus the Elite a comic story arc? I'm not familiar with it at, at all. Yeah, it's, it was. It was uh, Joe Kelly. One, I yeah, say. one issue. Of- he was kind of his. Uh, he was kind of making fun of the authority in his own way. Very British, you know, head of the team, and kind of, you know, have no rules, take no prisoners, kind of superheroes, as opposed to Superman's very traditional take on superheroing. Um, so, it, it's the 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 um the resolution of that story was kind of dark for Superman. I'm wondering how if they're going to do that in the same way in the uh, in the cartoon. Yeah, I'll have to check that out in the near future. Uh, I'm very interested in the sneak peek of The Dark Knight Returns. That's really one that I've been looking for an adaptation of for a long time. You know what? All these animated features are good, but I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't find myself going back and reviewing any of them. Um, you know, like, they're all good, but none of them really knock my socks off, I guess. I know you guys really loved um, the New Frontier one, right? Is that probably your favorite, I think? That's definitely my favorite, yeah. Yeah, I probably ended up watching uh, Crisis on Two Earths more than I've watched New Frontier, um, but I like both of those very much. But I'm interested to see Superman versus the Elite, and I mean the other—I mean Michael McKeon has been cast in the Dark Knight Returns uh, animated adaptation too. I mean you know him from Spinal Tap and uh, you know Mighty Wind, and he was Squiggy or uh, Lenny of Lenny and Squiggy back in the day on Laverne and Shirley. But I mean he's done so many other things since then. But uh, he's going to be Doctor Bartholomew Wolper. Who's like you know the Joker's therapist in the story? Um, I can't, I can't wait, and I'm glad, I'm so glad they're splitting it up into two movies. You know, Year One was a pretty faithful adaptation. It looks like Dark Knight Returns will be pretty faithful. I imagine Superman versus the Elite's going to be fairly faithful because that was just a single issue, um, an action comic. So it's not even you know it, you, normally they try and take like a six issue arc or you know five issue arc or whatever and, and translate it over. So the fact that they're taking uh, you know, a single comic story. I'm, I imagine this will kind of go the opposite way, right? It'll be, you know, something that uh, that gives us more um, than what we got. And I'm sure we'll uh, we'll we'll give our review of it um, either. I imagine probably either next week or the week. Yeah, the Blu-ray actually comes with a digital copy of Action Comics 775. Which, oh, nice! There you oh, go. Wow. And, cool. Yeah, so that's that's the issue. So I wonder if it's a code for picking up the digital comic like at Comixology or if it's an actual PDF? I, I know that the way they've done it on, on – I think they did it on Justice League Doom and it was really not it, – it wasn't a code. They literally put the issue up on the screen and the controls are horrible. Like um, I, I kind of mentioned this when we went over our review of Justice League Doom. But it's like if that's what you're trying to use to springboard people into viewing digital comics, you really just need to give them a code. To download it off Comicsology because that that 
maneuver, you know, the way you maneuver through it, the way you view it and everything is just so horrible that I'd be like, okay, if this is what digital comics are like, you know, screw this, I'm out. The, um, the thing, the only DC animated feature that I didn't like, uh, speaking to your point, Russ, was um, Superman Doomsday, where they like tried to smush, they had like, you know, a whole year's worth of story they tried to smush into one 90-minute movie, and yeah. I think it really really suffered for that. I mean, that's like probably, you know, my least favorite of all of them. Just And I think, you know, this only being one issue, they'll be able to expand on the story. I think Joe Kelly's been involved with the, uh, the screenplay for this as well. So Yeah, yeah. And I think Doomsday was first. Yeah, it was. That's yeah. what was so sad was it's like they, in my opinion, they stumbled out of the gate, um, and then from there they they definitely uh, they, they definitely went on an up upswing, no doubt. I mean, I think the only other misstep was um, the Green Lantern one. You know that that I know Ken's come out and you know not been happy with that. I haven't been happy. I wasn't happy with it either. Um, but you know DC's definitely had more hits than misses uh and Marvel I think Marvel just because of the switch over to Disney and some of the other stuff going on you know maybe it just wasn't profitable but they haven't really cranked anything out in a while and I think you know I know people kind of are down on Planet Hulk you know I, I thought it was a decent retelling I mean you know giving I think it was better to have it than not have it um, I think it was the animation. The animation was kind of rough in that compared comparatively yeah, yeah, to the yeah. DC uh, animated uh, series or um, features. But I mean, that that was the last one, right? It was like Hulk versus and Planet Hulk and uh, uh, Thor, the Thor, the Thor, Thor, Thor yeah, Tales Thor, Tales of Asgard, Asgard, yeah, yeah, that was the the last one. So I'm hoping they do um, another one. They do something else fairly soon because I think there's some good stuff. I, Hulk versus was a lot of fun. I know. Um, you know, John, you've liked that one as well, but just the two, you know, I, I didn't know that I'd be too happy about two 27-minute, you know, features or whatever, but they were both really well done, and the, the, the Hulk Wolverine one was, was very, very funny. One last thing uh, while we're on the subject, and I apologize if you guys talked about this during your Avengers uh, talk that I think I may have missed. Was it the Hulk versus DVD where... He tries to shoot himself, and he wakes up as the Hulk that they mention in the Avengers movie. Okay, let me back up. You know in the Avengers movie where Banner says to, I believe, Scarlet Witch, uh, Scarlet Witch, uh, Black Widow, he says that uh, I tried to put a gun in my mouth, and I pulled the trigger, and he ate it, or whatever he said. The other guy spit it out. Yeah. that I'm pretty sure that happens in Hulk versus because I remember being shocked that they had a scene where he... You know, basically tried to commit suicide. No, it's been, you know, honestly, I I watched it, I think, twice, like, when I first got it. But I haven't watched it in some time. Because I think he's out in the wilderness, and, like, he tries it, and that's how he gets mixed up with Wolverine. He tries to do it out up in the snow and mountains where nobody will be around and whatever. And I'm pretty sure that's how he winds up being in the area where Wolverine and, and I don't even know if Wendigo is. I think I'm getting a lot of things mixed up in... In uh, one place, but I'm going to check that out again. I'm pretty sure that scene is from that animated short. To go back and look at that, I, I haven't watched that since I was on the train to New York Comic Con 2009. I remember watching it on the train and thinking, "Wow, this is a lot better than I thought it would be." Yeah, and I'd be shocked if we didn't get Dark Knight Returns Part One at New York Comic Con this fall. 
yeah, I, I would say that's a pretty safe bet. Since we're talking about cartoons real quick, I wanted to mention uh, a, a rumor that Daryl Taylor um, um, told me. I was on Nothing's On last week with him and Donnie Salvo, and he was saying that Jeff Loeb is taking over the Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes cartoon and wants to basically scrap what they've done and reboot it in favor of like more done-in-one shows rather than a continuing story. Well, I guess the ratings haven't been real solid on that, though. Um, they, they haven't been like incredible, but they haven't it hasn't been really bad either. It's just been kind of um, you know middling uh, ratings, according to him. Huh. But uh, I guess they brought on Jeff Loeb as executive producer near the end of the second season here, and he's more interested in doing done in one stories and making it look more like the uh, the movie version rather than the classic versions that they have in the cartoon. Which I think is a shame because I love that cartoon. I think it's great. You know, I'm fine. I'd be fine if they just changed the format to done in one. You know, I think I'd be. You know, that would suit me just fine. And I mean, they do kind of a lot of those, but they just they do have that overarching story, especially this season, kind of going on. Which, I mean, if you're targeting it towards children, that might be some of that stuff might be a little kind of beyond them. But uh, you know, they've done the Beta Ray Bill story that was kind of a done in one, and you know, there's been some others that have been, uh, you know, the the first episode of this, you know, this season with the Fantastic Four was kind of a done in one. So, and I wanted to mention before we uh, went off that uh, check out the website and check out the uh, the Twitter and Facebook feeds. This uh, coming week, we're going to be starting our coverage of uh, Before Watchmen, uh, the Before Watchmen uh, event coming from DC uh, all summer long. The first issue, I believe, is Minutemen by Darwin Cook. Am I right? This this uh, this past Tuesday, as you listen to this, as you listen this past Tuesday, so uh, we will be doing mini episodes on each of the uh, before Watchmen issues that come out, and possibly compending putting those into a month and compendium uh, as we go along. But uh, it's, I think it's great. We're kind of getting back to our Watchmen roots, and if you've been around with us since those days, then you'll definitely probably want to hear what we have to say about these new. Uh, before Watchmen issues and how we feel about them and whatnot. I was definitely watchmen out for a long time, but I'm actually I'm excited for these, and uh, it'll, it'll be good to get back to them and, and talk about them with you guys. And this time we'll have Jordan along. Yeah. So we'll get Hello. to hear some Watchmen uh, views from young Jordan. Yeah, I don't know if I've, I think I've mentioned it before, but I'm definitely a huge Watchmen fan. That's how I found Legion of Dudes in the first place, so I can't wait. I'm, like I said on our Before Watchmen preview show, if this could be uh, you know an Archie comic with these creators on it, I would read it. I mean, Darwin Cook and Brian Azzarello and Lee Bermeo and you know all the, everyone else. I mean, so uh, check check it out Before Watchmen. Uh, our coverage of that on the LOD starting this week as you uh, read this or hear this. All right, everybody. Well, I guess that wraps up this month's BS show. Um, Usual contact information applies. Uh, you can give us a leave us a voicemail at five one six four six eight seven nine one two. Send us an email at comments at legionofdudes dot com. And we're going to kind of cut it short right there and not do our our usual uh, uh, spiel of uh, of outro here because we do have that interview that I was able to capture from Comic Palooza with um, a gentleman from Timegate Studios, the folks behind. Um, that work with Gearbox and are behind the Aliens Colonial Marines. Um, So we will run that for you now. Take care. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. 
There's movement all over the place. Five meters, man. Four. Aliens. This time, it's war. So I'm here with Brett Norton from TimeGate Studios, uh, one of the develop, I guess the the developer of. Uh, oh yeah, we're working with uh, Gearbox Software and Sega on the title. So for uh, Aliens Colonial Marines, the the hotly anticipated title that's due out at this point, I guess uh, the website says February of 2013. Yep, they're saying uh, quarter one 2013, so uh, early next year. Excellent, excellent. What can you tell us about um, about TimeGate's involvement in this project, like the genesis of it? Um, how, how the game got started, and then, like, general concept of the game itself, for, for those that may not know. Sure. You know, the history of Aliens Colonial Marines is actually pretty long. The project was first announced, I think it was 2007 or 2008. Uh, Gearbox had been working with Sega at the time, and they had uh, announced a deal uh, to do an Aliens game. And uh, But they had announced it, you know, very, very early on. The game had just, you know, gotten underway. It was, it was a very early announcement. A lot of times, games aren't announced until maybe they're six months out from release. This was basically announced, like, as, as things were just getting going. And so a lot of people have been wondering, like, man, how long, that, has, long, how long has that game really been in development? And, in, you know, it hasn't been in development as long as other games, just because the announcement came earlier than what a lot of titles might see. And uh, TimeGate, in, in the meanwhile, was working on a couple of our own games. And as we wrapped up development on uh, our last game, Section 8 Prejudice, uh, we had been contacted by, by Gearbox before. They're in Texas with us. They're based out of Dallas. We're based out of Houston. And so we know a number of developers. And, and like us, they also use the Unreal Engine 3 as one of their primary development. They do a lot of shooters on Unreal Engine 3. And we do a lot of shooters on Unreal Engine 3. And so uh, around that time, they uh, came to us and was just wanting to know about uh, Aliens, Clone Marines, and saying, hey, look, you know, you know, we've been working on this for a while. We want to bring in uh, a team here with kind of a fresh perspective and, and throw you guys at it. And so we were just like, sure, hell yeah, we want to work on Aliens, Clone Marines, you know. Pretty much all of us are, are huge fans of uh, the Aliens uh, franchise and pretty much everything in it. You know, uh, personally, uh, I've seen uh, all of the movies, although Alien and Aliens, obviously the best. I've even seen the uh, recent AVP films, but I've also, like, even prior to all this, I can collected a number of the older Aliens comics that were released following the second movie, as well as the original AVP series and such. So it was uh, of obviously great interest to me as well. So we got uh, we talked with them a bit, negotiated, and then got uh, hooked up to uh, work on the game. And uh, you know, our announcement was officially. Uh, you know, uh, announced when we, it was at uh, E3 last year. There was a big uh, demo that we put together for Sega, and uh, you know, without they put that on the show floor at E3. They had this awesome booth, and they were giving live you know demonstrations of the game. No one had really seen anything on the game for a very long time. They put together a great little teaser trailer that you can see online, and uh, they used that to hype up the uh, the presence at E3. And then they just it was gangbusters. There was a you know, multi-hour wait for the for the game, and it you know turned blew away everybody's expectations because the game had been kind of uh, you know, you know, very very little marketing had gone in the game up to that point. That was kind of like the first big outing, and they were like, "We really, really don't know how fans are going to react. Like, how how much you know uh, interest is there in a game based on a movie, effectively Aliens, which is you know decades old at this point?" And it turned out to be way way better than they thought, and it yeah. was just awesome. And since then, you know, the project's kind of grown and grown and grown. We just did a demo at uh, PAX East a couple months back where we showed off uh, a new portion of the campaign of the game, as well as competitive multiplayer, which features the uh, Colonial Marines versus the 
Xenomorphs and a you know an asymmetric player versus player. And uh, even that went you know that went great. There was multi-hour lines outside of that waiting to get into it, and uh, everybody seemed to love it. We got really good reviews of the multiplayer. And like I said, it, the project has just gotten bigger and bigger pretty much every step of the way since uh, since you know about a year and a half or so when we got involved. Nice. Yeah, I've seen the trailer, and I this to me is is a little bit of a unique concept for an alien game. I think in the past they've either taken the role of uh, re- replaying or recreating the movie, kind of putting you back in that role, some of the old arcade stuff after the, after the Aliens movie, or they've tried to incorporate the Aliens versus Predator versus Colonial Marine aspect where, you know, you get to pick a side and, and face off against each other. And this one looks like, it, I like the take of it, it's picking up like right after the, the Aliens, the, the second movie, and and uh, I guess another group of Marines goes to find out what happened to the Sulaco. Yeah, that's the the gist of the story. And, and you know, and, and we and talking about kind of the games about aliens in general. There's been a few like you know gun games. There's been a few side-scrolling games, etc. And there's you know been a number of AVP games. Most of the most recent games have been aliens versus predator games from like around 2004. The, the highest day, you know, most well-known ones were all AVP games. Right. And Sega, you know, they had the the license to to do that, but they wanted to make. Uh, it was actually Gearbox wanted to make an aliens game, like you know, they're fans of Predator, but they wanted to do a true aliens game, and that was where that that kind of genesis came from was to do uh, something that was the spiritual successor, uh, in particular to Aliens. And then, in, and in order to do so, because you know uh, we can't basically retcon uh, the storyline that occurred during Aliens, a- Alien, Aliens, and Alien Three. We're actually a continuation at the end of Alien Three. You know, the the fourth movie takes place you know in a distant future. So, sure. But the first three ones, you know, were were, uh, were were considered canon. But Aliens: Colonial Marines is also considered canon. Like this isn't a a side adventure or you know just a fictitious you know what if scenario. This is actually going to be uh, considered a canon storyline game. And so we had to work kind of and figure out how we could develop a new story within the within the kind of the events that happened during you know Alien: Aliens and Alien Three. And so exactly what you said pretty much happens. We kind of did this scenario. It's like okay, so at the end of Aliens, the Sulaco is heading back to Earth. At the start of Alien. Three, the Sulaco is diverted. The uh, the crew's ejected, and they wind up on Fury One Six One, and uh, that basically pretty much everything that uh, all the crews basically uh, killed off at that point, and virtually nobody survives. But nothing is ever really explained what happens to the Sulaco and the ship. And this is a military ship with several civilians on board, and and the premise of our game is the Colonial Marines. Um, basically lose track of the Sulaco and they start looking for it. And they're like, what the hell happened to the Sulaco? He was leaving, you know, LV-426 with several people alive. It never returned home. Like, we're going to go find out, you know, what happened to this crew of Colonial Marines that just disappeared off the face of the earth. And through a series of investigations, they finally managed to find out that the Sulaco is back in orbit around LV-426. So they send a new ship called the Sephora uh, over to investigate, and that's when things go horribly wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, based on the trailer, it looks like it's really kind of incorporating the horror elements to, like, the first Alien, where, and even the second one, where, the, you know, the, the Marines are kind of going through, and it's a lot of dark and flashing lights yeah. and, you know, things jumping out and you're seeing, you know bodies pinned up against the wall yeah, and, and yeah, that kind of yeah. thing going the, on. You know, we've, we've shown some materials and stuff like that, but the, the great uh, the great stuff about being able to do like a, you know, a new cast of characters and a new group of colonial marines is that they have no clue what's going on, and right. we do want to play up that sense of horror and tension. You know, these these are guys, you know, we as fans have seen like the movies and stuff like that, but uh, these marines as characters have absolutely no clue what's going on. Everything to them is just, you know, completely crazy and insane, and they're stepping into this nightmare scenario. 
and uh, we wanted to, you know, put in a lot of horror moments. As much as we, you know, there's a lot of action and gunfighting. The game is a, a shooter, and but at the same time, we wanted to have as much tension and scares as we possibly could to kind of, you know, live out. Uh, that's very, very, you know, a component of the franchise that people expect, and it's something that we love as well. It's that blend of action and, and horror, if you will, where you've got these moments where it's really intense and things are coming in the right direction, and then it gets really kind of quiet and very, very spooky and crazy for a while. So sure. So how instrumental was Fox? Did you guys have to? To like clear a lot of things with Fox from a story perspective. How how um, receptive was Fox to you? Did they um, allow you to use some you know assets from the movies, like um, you know uh, audio assets, you know of yeah. gunfire sounds yeah. and, and things like that? The great news about this is that Fox has done an amazing job for you know, for uh, an IP holder. They're the ones that own uh, the Aliens universe, basically. But uh, you know they wanted to do this game and they wanted to do something. And they uh, that was you know within the space of the of the first three films and everything. So and but they were also very keen on making sure that we kind of didn't uh, basically destroy the canon that existed already. But they gave us the room we needed to improve and uh, and change things also around for being a game. Like the first three are films, this is a game, and there are things that you know have to do differently in a game. Or you know a typical shooter campaign can be anywhere from five hours to ten hours. You know your typical movie is ninety minutes to two hours. So we needed a lot more stuff. We had to show more variety. Had to change things up. Introduce new types of xenomorphs and things like that just for the sake of kind of having some more variety we had to use more locations than what you saw in the film etc we've got a whole number of new locations that weren't represented and so they were very very smart about you know working with us to ensure that the things that we were adding would fit into the universe but they were also you know great about letting us add all kinds of great new stuff that we felt was a natural extension of the uh, sort of aliens universe and the, the, the fiction that had been built around that and so like I said things went things went very smoothly you know there's a few ideas that are like no that's a little too weird guys you can tell that back in but for the most part they were just like, yes, that's awesome. Run with it, run with it, run with it. That's good. We like this. Okay, you guys are doing a good job with everything. And so it, overall, you know, like I said, uh, having worked with a number of different people who, you know, own IPs in the past, some are very picky and they're, they're not very, they don't let you do a whole lot, but Fox has just been great. They, like I said, they, the best thing is that they appreciated this was a game and, and not a movie. And so they let us do the things that games need to do in order to kind of expand the universe to, to fit in the game environment. Sure. And it, it seems like great timing, too. You know, the, the Prometheus movie is coming out, <laughs> which, depending on what you listen to, is or is not a, a prequel, but it but it definitely exists in that universe. I mean, the Whalen yutani yeah. company is, yeah, is there. Yeah, for the, uh, for the hardcore fans of the Aliens franchise, I mean, you can watch the trailers for Prometheus. It's not out yet, but, you know, you can watch the trailers and you can see the references to, the, the, you know, the Whalen yeah. Corporation, the, the synthetics. Sure. If you watch the trailers and look at a couple shots and then go watch Alien. You're like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's kind of good timing. There's kind of like this groundswell mo- movement to kind of bring that back. And, you know, and the Aliens universe, like I said, not just the movies, but the universe itself is, is fascinating. It's this dark, oppressive, gothic universe where everything is out to destroy humanity in the most insidious possible ways. And there's, you know, something innately terrifying about that and, and, and amazing that, you know, it's, it's really a sort of a rich source for all kinds of uh, media, whether it's movies, games, books, etc. And so, yeah. you know, us as fans, we're super excited about Prometheus too. You know, we're going to yeah. have a big, <laughs> a big group to go see it. And, you know, we were also, you know, in some ways we're kind of fortunate because, it, you know, Fox kind of realized that Prometheus needed to be its own thing and that Aliens, Colonial Marines needed to be its own thing. And they didn't try to like shoehorn things together to try to make like, oh yeah, we want to do this cross promotion or blah, blah, blah. They're nice. like, 
no, Aliens, Clone Marines is its own thing, and Prometheus, Prometheus is its own thing. Unfortunately, just due to the way the narratives work out and such like that, you know, we, we didn't find ourselves really really stepping on each other's toes, and so we were it, it worked out to be uh, pretty solid. So we'll, you'll kind of get two very different stories that are set in the same universe, and so you know, hopefully, it, it both kind of build up on the success side. And hopefully, you know, our the the stuff that we've got going on the marketing we've done for Aliens, Clone Marines gets people really excited about Prometheus, and hopefully, Prometheus will do well and it'll help get people really excited about Aliens, Clone Marines. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot more interest in that that franchise than than people realize. And it's funny because it's gone from, you know, we talk about two separate franchises: the Alien franchise and the and the Predator franchise. And in the comics, Dark Horse kind of kind of melted them together like a Reese's. Mm-hmm. And um, and now we've seen where it's kind of been uncoupled, you know, and it's kind of yeah. separating back. Where you know we got Robert Rodriguez's Predators movie, and then now we're getting you know again you know this Prometheus thing, and now with with Alien Colonial Marines where. Again, it's it's kind of separating, you know, back apart, you know, the aliens and the predator franchise to kind of, I think, in a way, kind of focus on the best aspects of each instead of trying to, um, you know, force things together that may not blend as smoothly. Um, you know, we say all the time, there's stuff you can do in a comic that works fantastic, but um, sometimes you can't always do it on on film. So yeah, um, it's it's definitely. Uh, nice to kind of see uh, a return to actually you know playing to the strengths of all those universes. Right. Predators, I thought was was very very solid uh, for a film, and it was a, I liked it much better than Predator Two, for example. Exactly. And uh, I'm, you know we're hoping that Prometheus is is a really good standout film. And but for me, it's it's kind of interesting because uh, the way that Aliens vs Predator in particular evolved, especially in the films, was very different than the earlier comics. I was actually a big fan of the early Aliens vs Predator mm-hmm. comics. Correct. And what I loved most about the early Aliens vs Predator comics was that they basically took the aliens universe and put predators in it and they kind of told a story that was more sort of alien focused but then threw in the predators to kind of mix things up and I felt that that was a great idea because the aliens universe was a was a little bit more fleshed out you know it was set in this kind of distant sci-fi future and it was a, to me a, a bit more interesting and the predators thrown in it was an interesting kind of mix onto it whereas when they kind of did the AVP uh, films and some of the more recent things they, uh, they've they tried to basically take almost like a, a predator universe and put aliens right. in it yeah. and I think that wasn't it, it may have been you know uh, for whatever decisions that they made, I didn't think it was just quite as interesting to me as the way that they approached you know, using the aliens universe and putting predators in it sure. versus taking the predator universe and putting aliens in it. Sure. So for the game, it's it's using Unreal Three. I know there's a lot of flexibility you have with Unreal Three. Um, so is this primarily? And, and and I understand if if there's things you can talk about, things you can't talk about. Is this primarily or completely a first person shooter type game? Are there going to be some Things we've seen in other um, iterations of an Aliens game, where there's either vehicle combat or or some kind of what we consider like third person type type of stuff. I can't go into like some of the more uh, specific details. You know, in the core things that have been kind of talked about the game, we are going to have a co-op campaign. You know, we, we've we've talked about that nice. a lot. It's going to you know, and it is a first person shooter. Uh, Kind of genre-wise that we're talking about. However, we you know we did demonstrate the competitive multiplayer component, uh, like I said, at PAX East, and in that the uh, Colonial Marines actually play from a first-person perspective. But when you're playing as one of the Xenomorphs or the aliens, they're played from a third-person camera, huh. and you know, and so it's it's a, like, what's we say when we say like asymmetric uh, sure. you know, multiplayer is that the Marines play very very differently than the Xenomorphs. There's a couple different types of Xenomorphs, and uh, they have their own kind of uh, tactics and strategies, and the Marines have different types of weapons, and they have their own tactics. And strategies, and so you, you get to play a very very different experience depending on what uh, side you're playing during any given match. And we have a, you know a couple of different game modes. We were just showing off you know fairly classic uh, team deathmatch 
at PAX East, but it gives you a chance to see how the core combat between the two sides works and how we have to work out the balance between you know two two sides with very very different capabilities. One that's you know very fast, very stealthy. They know where the Marines are. They can hunt them versus the Marines, which have you know. Uh, you know, massively powerful weapons, you know, a, a great range advantage, etc., and a, a lot of tools to try to flush the, the Xenos out. And, and that's, you know, we're trying to throw in a, a number of twists like that. You know, we want we want to ensure that players can, as they play the game, whether they're playing the, the multiplayer campaign components, get to see uh, a lot of the universe and get to, you know, basically try a lot of things. Nice, because I, I, I appreciate that, because I think one of the things, like in the Alien versus Predator game, it, it almost tried to balance things out to where, you know the the the, the marines and the predators and the aliens all kind of had to have you know because any one person could pick any any one type so the gameplay had to be somewhat balanced um you know because it, they all existed in the same kind of level scheme and stuff so the fact that you're kind of saying okay the aliens are completely different there's something different we're going to even change the perspective on how they move and, and operate i think is is will be refreshing to a lot of people i think it'll add a really cool game dynamic for multiplayer yeah. um you know when when people get into it um yeah we definitely hope so and it, you like so the, the tactics for the teams very you know differently too like the marines they generally need to stick very much together whenever they can and they get uh, a lot of benefit from kind of working in groups they need to use their motion trackers a lot you know the xenomorphs uh, have a they can they have a, a xenovision we call it that they can kind of detect the marines from farther away they kind of know where the marines are a lot of times they can be very stealthy they can set up traps they can nice. pick off stragglers they can do hit and run tactics or they can just try to you know basically rush the marines if they if they see they've got an opening and just you know jump in when they've got their backs turned and take them out as quickly as possible and yeah definitely that that, that changes things I would like so we wanted to make the experience of the xenomorph and the experience of the Marines very, very different in that regard. We didn't want them, you know, and it, the good news is that, like, the way we do because it's 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 usually team versus team. It's, it's the Xenomorphs versus the Marines and, and most of the game modes so that we got a chance to to push each team to play very, very differently, and we didn't have to worry so much about the uh, the kind of balance issues that AVP had. You know, it, it's always very tough, especially because, you know, uh, the Predators are always portrayed as these uh, amazingly powerful characters in the, in the in the Predator and in the AVP universe, so it's it's very difficult to, to wrap that around an environment, especially in competitive multiplayer when it's it's like, well, everyone expects them to be amazing, but now you want to kind of try to make it balanced. That's a you know a very very tough sure. tough thing to deal with. Sure, sure. So I guess to wrap things up a little bit, I know you've got other interviews lined up and in, in a busy day ahead. Um, TimeGate Studio. So they're they're based out of Houston. Yep. I, I I like to see that there's more uh, game development going on in the state of Texas. I I uh, I work in Austin. I live um, a little bit south of Austin. So typically, when folks think of game development in yeah. in Texas, Austin tends to 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 get a lot of limelight. But but it's good to hear that that TimeGate yeah. is is doing something in Houston. There's there's other studios in in Dallas. Yep. Gearbox um, is actually in Dallas, and you know we we travel back and forth to, to talk with them a ton. And and we're down here. We're actually on the southwest side in Sugarland. But Oh, nice. Houston metropolitan area, and yeah, we, we definitely know a ton of studios in Austin. Uh, you know, of, of the three major cities, I think Austin probably still has the biggest development community, and then Dallas is probably second, uh, just behind them. And Houston's Houston's got a smaller development community. I think TimeGate is the largest developer in Houston right now, and there's a couple of other studios though that are around, um, a couple of smaller ones that you know we're hoping build up and kind of build a better, or a bigger and better development community here in Houston. I mean, we've got a major city, sure, you know, and there's no there's no reason why we can't have a, a great development community out here. We've been you know trying to push 
actually the uh, IG, uh, International Game Developers Association. We've been trying to hold very regular meetings and, and generate some more uh, interest. We've had some great turnout the last couple ones. We did one at Dave and Buster's where the Unity guys who run the, the guys who do the Unity engine came out and gave out free licenses and hundreds, you know, like 200 people showed up to that. Wow. And then we did a, a great event at uh, Joysticks, which is a classic uh, kind of arcade. They, they do uh, restoration and repair of things like pinball mm-hmm. machines and retro sure. games, and they occasionally let people run out their uh, facility to come in and just play games all night. So we, of course, being gamers and game developers, we <laughs> rented that out and hung out all night and played Joust and uh, all <laughs> kinds of original games and a bunch of pinball and stuff like that. So it was a blast. And so we've had some really good uh, IGDA meetings, and we're really hoping that you know we get a bigger groundswell of development here in Houston on the developer side. Awesome. So where can folks find more information on TimeGate, um, you know, what games that you guys have put out? Um, TimeGate.com. Awesome. We've got a pretty good website. It's just www.timegate.com. You know, we've got everything up as far as the games. talks about the studio. talks about if we have any job openings and things like that, what we're looking for, you know, anything that we can announce that we're working on. We try to put up as much media and whatnot. And so, uh, you know, come check it out. You can see any of our games history, the stuff that we've worked on. You know, we've been in business since uh, I think it's 98 or 99. And uh, we've put out a pretty good number of games, you know, a large number of 360, PlayStation 3, PC games. We've done shooters and strategy games. So, you know, we're, and, you know, Aliens, Color Marines for us is probably media-wise, especially the biggest sure. game that we've worked on. So it's it's been great fun. You know, we're really looking forward to the game coming out, and we're hoping that we continue to, uh, you know, do better and better, better and bigger things as that company evolves. Well, definitely from the trailer and from things I've seen on on both the Facebook page and and on the on the main page, it, it looks excellent. I mean, the, graphically, um, the tone, uh, the the pace that you know you can tell just from the trailer, it looks fantastic. So um, I know a lot of us are excited about about it coming out and can't and can't wait to, until it does. So, um, Dave, I appreciate your time. Thank you for um, for talking to me. All right. And uh, thanks for uh, talking to me. No problem. Okay.